Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of APM Success. Today we're going to be tackling one of my favorite topics, which will be no surprise to longtime listeners of this show, negotiating and negotiating an employment agreement that is favorable to the physician. Specifically, I want to talk about letters of intent and the way that they are a tool used by employers to get the upper hand in negotiations and what you can do about it. The analogy that I like to use is a football one. So in football, you've got your fullback and your halfback. The halfback carries the ball. The fullback is the one who leads the way, clears the way, provides the big blocks, and lets the guy with the ball run down the field. The LOI, the letter of intent, is like the fullback. The fullback is making the blocks and preventing somebody from making the tackle. When you're trying to get a job, you're trying to make the tackle on the halfback. If you get distracted by the LOI and you don't position yourself properly, you're going to get blocked out of getting a good job with the terms that are most favorable to you. So it's important to be aware that this is often a one-two punch with the LOI and the employment agreement, and you wanna act accordingly so you can dodge the blocker, make the tackle, and get the best deal you possibly can. If you wanna negotiate with more confidence than a pedestrian in a Portland crosswalk, stay tuned. But before I dive into that, a quick note on the housing market. (laughs) I'm seeing this a lot with clients. We're having these conversations on the regular. Rates are going up, housing prices are going up, (laughs) things are getting more expensive across the board. Right now, the 30-year fixed mortgage rate is somewhere in the mid-fives. Not too long ago, I am old enough to remember a time way back in 2021 when this was about 2.5%. So an increase of about 3% compared to those historic lows is significant. Physician mortgages, as many of the listeners of this show are familiar with, You can get up to $750,000 in a mortgage with 0% down and no private mortgage insurance, PMI. If you bought a $750,000 house back when rates were 2.5%, the principal and interest payment was $2,963 on that 30-year fixed note. So $750,000 home, your payment would be $2,900. Now, with these new higher rates, that same home price... 750 grand with no money down, you can still get that financing. If you're a doctor, you can still get this great deal in terms of the low down payment. But with a five and a half percent interest rate, that same house is now $4,200, an increase of about 1300 bucks. That entire increase is attributable to the additional interest cost per month, $1,300 per month of interest money. You're just lighting on fire. It's not going to principal at all. So that's about 15 grand per year of extra housing cost. In other words, you may need to earn an extra $25,000 a year in order to cover that differential on a pre-tax basis. This is the change we've seen in 12 months. That's assuming you could get the same house for 750 grand. <laughs> of course, a year ago, the house that cost 750 now costs 950. So you're getting the double whammy of more expensive prices, higher interest rates. It's a, it's a tough time to be a home buyer, no question. So obviously, if you're making a home purchase decision, think through carefully what you want. The longer the time frame is that you're going to live in that home, 
the more likely it is that you're going to be able to have the flexibility to, you know, get out of the home, to sell the home down the road without being underwater, without getting less for your home than you owe on the mortgage. That's always the danger if you're going to buy a house today and sell it a year from now. If the housing market moves against you and you don't have much money down, if you buy that $750,000 house, you sell it next year, the market moves against you, you sell it for six fifty, and you didn't put any money down, you still owe $748,000 on your mortgage. You only got six hundred and fifty grand less closing costs, so call it six hundred and ten that you can have to pay towards your $748,000 mortgage balance. So you've got to stroke a check for 130 grand just to walk away from your home. That's bad. But if you can hold for longer, the likelihood of that happening is a little bit less. So food for thought for anybody out there looking for a mortgage, as if I didn't need to tell you that <laughs> housing is getting more expensive, it's pretty crazy to see that it's actually $15,000 per year for the same house of extra interest cost. So now to the topic at hand, I want to talk about the letter of intent, that fullback that is hitting the gap between the tackles, trying to make the block so that you can't tackle the guy with the ball. A lot of what I'm going to discuss today has to do with communication when you're talking with a prospective employer and considering a prospective job offer. Your position when you're negotiating is only ever as strong as your next best offer. So one thing you want to think about is do you have more than one offer and does the prospective employer know it? That's a good first step. If you don't have any other competing offers, try to get one that you could reasonably be happy with and use it as a, you know, a test of your market value and, you know, as a, an opportunity and as an opportunity to negotiate, have a little bit more leverage. And this is the cold calculus of capitalism. The employer wants to lock up an employee via an employment agreement for the longest possible time for the least money with the most restrictions. The bigger and more sophisticated the employer is, the more common it is to use this specific method of an LOI, a letter of intent. They want to get you, the employee, if you're going to be an employed physician, they want to get you to agree to a compensation number, a vacation package, etc. before you see any other often significant terms of employment. And the way that this will often go is maybe you're talking to someone in a department. This is common in the academic world, by the way. I see most of the LOIs that I see come from academics, but this is also true of some of the bigger anesthesia management companies. You'll have a conversation. You'll express interest. There will be reciprocal interest in your anesthesia services. And so you'll get this letter of intent that will say, we're going to pay you X. We're going to require XYZ in terms of duties, but but at a high level, it's not very granular. Maybe it'll talk about vacation and a couple other data points, but really it's it's not nearly everything as it relates to the terms of your employment. And there are going to be things that are going to have significant monetary value that are not going to be included in that letter of intent. The goal of this LOI, it's not, usually it's not nefarious. It's more a matter of operational efficiency, but it does have the effect of reducing a physician's negotiating leverage. So when you're communicating in a context of receiving an LOI, I always encourage doctors to keep their cards close to the vest. An LOI is not an employment agreement and you shouldn't talk about it as if it is. So in a perfect world, I would love to see a doctor say, you know, this looks good, but I want to see what the employment agreement looks like before I formalize and expression of interest, because there's a lot of other terms not contained in the LOI that I just want to make sure I have access to. 
It may be that you can get some sort of redacted version of an employment agreement and you can see, for example, what the tail coverage looks like, what the non-compete looks like, some other important terms, and you can get an idea of the big picture. If you sign the LOI just because you like the salary number and then you find out that there are a lot of terms embedded in the employment agreement, you have really given away a lot of your power. And that is the bottom line here is you want to not weaken your negotiating position unnecessarily. So when that fullback is coming at you, the LOI ready to make the block, you want to acknowledge the LOI, but also communicate along the way. You know, this is not a commitment uh, for employment. I know that there's some terms to which I may be agreeing, but this is all subject to what I'm finding in the employment agreement. And so if you look at the employment agreement and the non-compete looks not that great, and the tail coverage is going to require you to buy a tail policy that could be ten to $30,000, then you're reserving the right to come back and renegotiate the substantive terms of the agreement. Here is what I frequently see happen. A physician gets an LOI. Maybe someone told, maybe they listened to an episode of this podcast and they heard they should negotiate. So they say, uh, you know what? I want a $10,000 signing bonus. And the employer will agree to that. And then the, the physician pats themselves on the back. They say, hey, I got an extra 10 grand. And then they sign the LOI. They, and in the course of doing this, they express interest. They express enthusiasm. They let the employer know that my family's here and we definitely want to be here. And I could never imagine myself be anywhere else. And then you get the employment agreement. And the employment agreement has a 30-mile non-compete radius from the footprint of the health system. So it's a huge catchment. And you have to cover your own tail on the way out the door. And intellectual property is totally locked up. Anything you do, whether you're on the clock or off the clock, belongs to your employer. And there's no opportunity for any outside business participation in either a medical business or any other business. And it's just very, very restrictive in every way possible. In this circumstance... For a physician who's communicated enthusiasm, and essentially, if we're talking in poker terms, you put all your cards on the table. There's nothing left unknown. You have no more leverage. You've signed the LOI. You said, I want to be here, and I don't really, I'm not considering any other options. In that moment, what I frequently see is doctors like, oh, you know, crap, I, I basically committed already. I'm going to just like close my eyes and sign the employment agreement, even though there's all these things I don't like about it, just because of the fact that I... I committed, especially verbally, you know, in conversations with the department chair and with other potential future colleagues, there's a verbal commitment and an expression of, you know, moving forward. So don't do that. <laughs> don't commit before you're signed on the dotted line on the employment agreement, especially because, you know, with some of these terms, tail coverage is, a, is an explicit monetary cost. If there's going to be a $20,000 policy that you're going to need to buy, a $20,000 premium you're going to need to pay for a tail policy, you would want to know that, right? When you're signing up, you should negotiate a bigger signing bonus or change the language of that to account for that outlay that's going to happen at the conclusion of your employment. If you don't see it until you've already committed with the LOI and then you're essentially one foot in the door already, you're much less likely to be able to do anything in terms of wiggle room. So again, here's the bottom line. When you see this LOI come at you, do everything you can to get the full employment agreement and pay attention to both the qualitative terms and the quantitative terms, because both are going to have monetary impact. If you can't get the employment agreement in advance of signing the LOI, just make sure you're communicating in such a way that you leave the door open for more bargaining. What you don't want is to sign the LOI, say, we love it here. I couldn't ever see myself anywhere else. 
And then you get the employment agreement and then you say, hey, listen, this is great, but I need a $30,000 signing bonus. That's going to understandably rub your employer the wrong way. If you've committed, committed, committed verbally, you sign the LOI, you agree to substantive terms, then you try to pull this last minute juke. It's just kind of poor form. It's not poor form, though, if you either don't sign the LOI first or you sign it while verbally expressing reservation or a very reasonable expression of, I need to see an employment agreement before I really am locked into these terms. And then it's much more understandable. So that's all I've got for today. When you're looking at LOIs, when you're looking at an employer who's trying to steamroll you in the interest of efficiency to remove your negotiating leverage at the outset, make sure you recognize what's going on and step to the side, dodge the block, make the tackle. Good luck, everybody out there who's negotiating. As always, thanks for tuning in to APM Success. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.